Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're talking about the Cosmos 1408 anti-satellite test and India's and China's latest tests in the last few years. We'll also talk about five years with AG3D and all that I've learned and thankful for. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Today in Space. I'm your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Girofanos, and it is the week of Thanksgiving. We're recording this on Monday, uh, November 22nd, and uh, we missed last week because uh, these regular-ass colds that we have now <laughs> in the winter that's not COVID uh, have either gotten stronger or my immune system's uh, not finely tuned for these anymore. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but man, that has put me out. That's the second time I've had something like that recently, like a flu-like uh, thing going around. I hear everyone sniffling uh, <laughs> around us uh, at work, so it's just something going around. So short story is uh i sounded like crap and this week we're not even doing a video for youtube <laughs> we're just doing pure audio so uh i am recovering and this week i we've got a lot to cover there's a lot of this, this is a good episode to put on your drive up for the holiday you know if you're looking for something in the background you want to learn a little bit of something i got a few stories this week that aren't necessarily space related but it's 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 all in just let's put a a good episode out so that if you if you want to throw us on in the background while you're doing some stuff, listen in. We appreciate you. This is Today in Space. If you're new, if you haven't already, go over to our Instagram page, Today in Space Pod, our 3D printing lab at AG3D Printing, uh, and check us out there. Follow us on social media, Facebook, the Today in Space podcast group. There's also on TikTok, we're on Today in Space. And, of course, this podcast, if you're listening on Apple, uh, podcast or Spotify or wherever else you have uh, are listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share it with people. Um, we really appreciate all the support. Subscribing is free for you, right? Even on YouTube, right? Clicking that bell, clicking the like button. It's it's basically free for you, and it just it helps us in so many different ways. Um, so if you if you want to help and give back to this little bit of science we try and put out every week, science and storytelling really, about the space industry and being a nerd and an engineer. Um, yeah, so if you're interested in any of that, uh, please feel free. Subscribe. That helps us out a lot. So uh, since the last episode, there was an anti-satellite test that was done by Russia um, of the spy satellite Cosmos 1408. Y you probably saw it uh, over in the news um, that Russia deliberately blew up a satellite and that debris potentially could have impacted the International Space Station. The astronauts on board were, which Crew-3 that just, you know, got there, um, they they were, they woke up to basically protocols for them to start going into their spacecraft because if something hit the pressurized space station in the wrong spot, that's, that's bad news bears. You need a pressurized vehicle to be in. Because the space station is not gonna be able to close those doors and hatches in time. Like this is this is the thing of sci-fi nightmares, right? Just imagine waking up to the really calm person over the phone on the comms. <laughs> Good morning. We're we're gonna be starting from the you know this procedure step. You know, make sure to go through to like code alpha, whatever whatever it is that the terminology that it is sounds very dry if you don't know what it is. But could you imagine being an astronaut being like, 
Uh, that's the procedure where we try to go to our spacecraft because something's going to impact us. All right, let's wake up. Like, that's, that is what our, our astronauts, and not only just the U.S. astronauts, all the astronauts on board, the Russian cosmonauts that were on board, um, everyone had to seek refuge in the spacecraft. And this, uh, up, what, I think it was like 2,500 pieces of debris right now, the latest research. Uh, Leo Labs did a really good breakdown, initial investigation of the debris. Um, and yeah, 2,500 pieces of debris uh, that are now, you know, they're passing so many low Earth orbit satellites, uh, a lot of different orbits. So there's just so much potential for future impacts that are uncontrolled. And it just really was bad choices all around. Um, from from a do you want to keep space being an easy thing for us to do as human beings if, if, if that was the choice it was not a good choice um, so I don't know what's going on there um, there's only conjecture but the reality is there's now more debris across many different high activity very useful orbits that we use on an everyday basis um, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to you know this isn't we can't just single out Russia it's not like Russia is the only one that has done this the U.S. did this many times early on because space warfare, I mean, look, Sputnik is what spawned the whole space race uh, that we had with Russia, the U.S. had with Russia, um, to go to the moon. It was Sputnik was this thing that was orbiting around all the time and, and viewing the Earth, uh, you know, Area 51, all those places that we had, that we had very secret stuff going on. Now they could just send a camera that's so far away we would have no idea that it was even there. Terrifying prospect. And so there were a lot of tests done of like, all right, what happens if we shoot this satellite down? Can we test the rocket to make sure that it hits its target? And then what is the, what is the debris that happens from that? What's the fallout of using that maneuver militarily in space? Um, the U.S. stopped doing that. Uh, many countries stopped doing that, um, and we've only had a few of these in the last, looks like, two decades. So if you go far back to 2007, uh, China had an anti-satellite test, um, and in 2007 they created 3,000 objects, mostly that are still there now, and, and at that time they were basically said that they'd be there for decades so it's a high it's a high chance that many of those objects are still there and it's at altitudes of 865 kilometers which is which is crazy and it's not even necessarily a circular orbit right that this is that this is taking place uh in 2019 india had an anti-satellite test uh april april 15th 2019 um, and they actually, that one's a little more interesting where it, it's kind of like a modern version of an anti-satellite test. Granted, still not good. Still really not good to put debris that you can't control traveling at speeds of like the speed of a bullet, basically, relatively, right? If you're a person on the ground, that thing is moving faster than it would if it, if it moved through air. So, uh, yeah. So April 15th, 2019, India sent up, they launched on January 19th of that year. They
they launched a small satellite that was built for the purpose of being destroyed. It went up to a lower altitude of 282 kilometers, and when it was destroyed, there were 400 fragments uh, that, because of such the such a low altitude, they pretty much would have, you know, destroyed in weeks to months of of that explosion, um, and that that uh, missile impacting that satellite, and some of that debris, even though it was controlled and it was done low, some of that debris still went up to altitudes of a thousand kilometers. So it, it, the whole story of anti-satellite tests is the reason you do it is for warfare. The reason you do it is to posture. It's kind of this whole thing with, uh, and again, I'm generalizing here, but the basic idea is anti-satellite tests are meant for war. That's essentially why you would use them and why you test them. Um, there are definitely military demonstrations done all the time to showcase technologies and posture and all those different things. Um, but there's that's two anti-satellite tests within three years. You know, from India's test in 2019 to China's test in 2007, that's a 12-year gap. We've now had two in the last few years. Um, and it's definitely a trend we hope that doesn't continue. But um, the good thing is every time this has happened, we seem to get more and more eyes. And we're in a really good time for space, civilian space activities where there's just so much. Space Twitter is really one of the nicer things <laughs> that I use Twitter for. There's a really cool group of people that are all looking at the stars, gathering data. Um, this, this Jonathan McDowell is... is amazing he's over here in uh i think mit right i think he's out here in one of the observatories um uh regardless uh, i've been following him for years so it's cool to know that he's he's up close here here in boston uh but uh but yeah there's just a lot of really cool people a lot of people who are are looking at this stuff you know it's not going unnoticed so i mean the whole reason they found out this test happened is because they were looking at where this thing should have been and it wasn't there and then when they looked again there was a whole bunch of things there so um yeah it's it's an interesting anecdote it's not the first time that's happened and uh, we definitely hope that there are less anti-satellite tests you know if you want to learn more about what's being done to fix space debris we had a great interview with luca rosatini who is the uh, ceo and and one of the founders of uh, deorbit which is a company that uh, specifically tailors solutions for satellites to be able to be deorbited. So solutions that, hey, if your satellite loses power and can't function anymore, there's still some solid fuel on there that you can activate separate from the system um, and be able to put it on a trajectory that it needs to burn up into the atmosphere. There's also, they are doing launch services. They flew on a SpaceX Falcon 9 recently, and uh, they have this really cool craft that deploys all these different satellites into very unique and specific orbits that customers would would want to pay for you know optimize the 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 amount of time you have let's say if you're if you're mapping certain areas of the planet you know you want to maximize kind of how many passes right you would want a lot of passes so you have a very nice scan or grid of whatever you're looking at right um you don't necessarily do that you don't necessarily get that from attaching yourself to another 
launch, right? Like you're just jumping on a launch that Falcon 9's doing for a bigger thing. Like you're kind of limited in what you can do from there. So that's what their latest option that they tested um, is out there. So, so there's a lot of cool stuff that's being done. Um, there's some more people. Uh, there's Privateer Space. Uh, that's a young company um, that's out there uh, apparently doing some of that stuff too. Uh, but uh, that's just what I've heard on Twitter. Uh, but they're they're doing pretty cool cool stuff. There's a lot of really small companies, startup companies in this industry that are trying to do really cool things. Um, and that's we'll definitely try and touch more on those companies here in the future. Um, another thing that I want to talk about uh, in the coming weeks is the spin launch uh, that just happened recently. I don't know if you guys saw it. A giant centrifuge spins a rocket on the end of an arm inside of a vacuum-controlled chamber. And then it just yeets that thing into the atmosphere. And they tested that for the first time. It's like a subscale model. It, it worked. They tossed something into, into orbit. Uh, they threw it straight up so that they weren't going to hurt anybody. But ideally, this thing would launch at like 30-degree angle. And uh, they're going to the next stage of building the first real version of it. Uh, so I've been doing a bunch of research, a bunch of people sending some questions and ideas. I, a bunch of you guys were like – I got articles from all of you before I even saw it. So – uh, it's always a good sign that that's something we should talk about in the show. So I wanted to do my research, get a bunch of cool things together, and I've got some like cool sci-fi and like what what it could be in the future kind of stuff. So look forward to that in the future. I am I am still researching that. Uh, moving on, we definitely need to to talk about our three D printing lab called AG three D which on November 23rd, 2016, I started full-time. So that's five years of our 3D printing lab, which is crazy because I remember when I started it, I remember thinking, okay, I feel like it's going to be, like I'm, it's almost like I'm going to college again, but for something very specific. And like the courses are just mine, right? Like I get to learn what I want to learn. And that's how I approached this crazy and amazing adventure into 3D printing, which started as just something that I came across researching for this podcast, and then it became the thing that funds this podcast and gets us to go around the the world, uh, really the U.S. right now, but um, it's helping us get the podcast out to everyone around the world, and then go to things like when things open up, Starship in Texas and other launches, going to other places and and visiting new companies, things like that. Um, It has made all of that possible. So I can't even believe it's five years. So much has happened. Um, You know, in that time, we've learned that iterative design is really our our bread and butter. You know, we can bring an idea from a piece of paper into reality pretty rapidly and along the way we can make it better that's kind of what we focus on is so that by the time we get to the end the final thing it's gone through a few tests of like is this what i want which is not something you necessarily get from going to like some semi big company that's just like an idea machine and they just crank out prototypes that you know you might be able to do or it's not quite what you're looking to do you've already spent a whole bunch of money so now you're sunk into it now you put that money into a mold and then you can't 
you have to sell a whole bunch of things that aren't really at the point we like you've thought of all these different things you want to make better but because you sunk all that money into this mold to make hundreds of thousands of parts you need to sell those hundreds of thousands of parts to buy a new mold so that is very expensive if you're trying to bring an idea from you know if you're trying to start a business if you're trying to even if it's just like i want to make one of these things the cost of machining a single custom piece uh is very very high and while we can trade off a little bit on you know it might take a little bit longer because i am just a one-person shop and we are you know we are focused on certain things different than machining right so like we can make a lot more complex shapes uh in maybe a little more time uh but it's going to be uh way less money <laughs> than you're going to spend on machining on average so um there is a lot that we do here and that's one of the big things you know i've been designing since i was in college so at this point that's like 13 years of design and i can't that doesn't even make sense honestly if i like if i really think about how many years that is of, of actually designing it's kind of wild and like at work what i'll do is like if i have like i usually work through lunch and sometimes we're like oh this would be a really cool idea and I'll just whip out the design program and design something and put it on something and uh, and print and that that's that is from five years of running my own 3d printers and make sure that making sure that they're running fixing anything that goes wrong with them tweaking them so they they print even higher quality stronger parts you know dial in all those things I loved that stuff early man that's that's all that the early days of the AG 3D Instagram is, is like me tweaking what was our first 3D printer, which was which was the XYZ uh, printing DaVinci Pro 3-in-1, which had like a laser engraver attachment and has a 3D scanner built in, and it's also a 3D printer. Um, but that had its problems, and I ended up moving on to a different 3D printer, which was then, with, which was then the Prusa Mark II which is the the Prusa i3 Mark II is is the 3D printer that I really really scratched my teeth on of like I cut my teeth what what is that saying anyways that that's a terrible saying it sounds painful anyways um where I really got to to learning what a 3D printer is is when I built the kit of this uh 3D printer that's what I recommend for anybody if if you want to get into 3D printing and you really want to learn it fast rapidly buy yourself a 3d printer go on like like the prusa and it has like a big forum and go after it there you've got all the people that you need there um it's it, there's so much support out there there's so much stuff that you can learn that's out there um and so anyways we we continued we with the the prusa mark ii really helped us build a lot of really cool stuff like we 3D printed a knife holder of Deadpool. So you put the knives in his head. It was like a project someone else did. And I made one custom for my brother. That was like one of the big projects. Then we realized that a lot of the people that we were talking to really wanted to print bigger than the Prusa. So then we went with a large format 3D printer like the CR10, uh, CR10S5, which is 500 millimeters cubed. It's like 19 inches in X, Y, and Z. So it's huge. It's a giant printer. Um, and then we printed more and more, you know, we started getting into cosplay stuff. I made the Iron Man, um, 
arc reactor that I wore in the t-shirt, which was sweet. You know, I, I upgraded that Prusa to a to a new version, which is great about that that three D printer and, and that company. They're they're always trying to make sure you get the most out of that printer and it's an absolute workhorse. And that's that's I absolutely love <laughs> running three D printers. Like I never would have thought that like I would have gotten into this robotics and electronics maker thing. I just I don't know. I never it never it wasn't really available when I was growing up. So like to find it now, I'm like, oh yeah, I would have loved this growing up. Uh, on the bigger 3D printed printer, we printed our giant uh, Mandalorian helmet, which was a whole saga in itself. And then there was so much learning that we did. And then COVID happened and we started getting into 3D printing masks. And then we found that the masks were just you know, it, it all came down to the filter, right? So you can make a mask, but it's all about the filtration that you were using. Um, so we moved away from that because it just wasn't safe. I wasn't going to promise people that we could make the masks if there really wasn't something that we could say that was helpful. The, the more science came out, it didn't it didn't uh, work. So we ended up moving to things like um, reliefs, you know, like the, the strap reliefs for the ones that went uh, over your ears um, because that was a big thing. And then face shields is where we ended up uh, donating a bunch of those and sending those out. Um, so it, it, that is, COVID has really shown what 3D printing can do, especially with a very sensitive supply chain. And that's what we're experiencing now, right? With everything that's going on with the supply chain across the world right now, like every industry is affected. Um, and when the supply chain is down and someone has a 3D printer and supplies, you have the ability to make something that is not available anywhere else. And you don't have, the only thing you have to hold inventory of is basically your filament and some spare parts um, for the 3D printer. So for me, as someone that is looking to make something, um, I have the ability because you know our supply of, of filament plastic hasn't been low. Um, it's actually been pretty good. It's held through. Like we can we can make stuff if we have to. Like if we can't get it, we can do that. It's not a reality I thought we were gonna be at when I started AG3D five years ago. But these are the things you just you learn, right? You you pick up on. Um, and so we've learned a lot. Like it's it's really been an incredible incredible journey it got me into working in the 3d printing industry like i have my day job is in 3d printing um that is what i do every day and i would not be here if i didn't start ag3d all that time ago and what i've learned like being an aerospace engineer out of college and then starting my own company at what is that five years ago 26 it taught me so much. It got me out of my shell as as the aerospace engineer. Um, you know, it taught me so much about what a company needs to do. Like I now, when I go to my day job, I don't just think about like what I'm dealing with. I also think about like how is the whole company affected. How what what are the things that I do for my company that I'm seeing uh, either needing help or like like is this a place in which I can help? Is that something that's just part of being a business? Um, it, it gives me a really nice vantage point to learn um, in, in all the different aspects that 
that we're doing because of course one day it would be great i would love to be able to to have this lab be a place where we could you know have employees and 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 be able to have other people with 3d printers out there um so we could more rapidly get parts to people like there's there's obviously a lot we want to do but one step at a time you know one step at a time and i not sure where i was going with that i lost track there um but yeah it's been really cool of course one day we would love to have some people that we could um employ but for now we've learned a lot in five years we're still here we've made it through the pandemic um and we're looking forward to how we can help bring everyone's ideas into reality that that is looking for that kind of thing with 3d printing um, and we're starting to get into a little bit of injection molding, 3D printing molds so that we can scale uh, parts up because we've reached this interesting stage now five years in where um, some of these ideas have really kicked off and can now we can now start making a lot of these at, at a time. We can really start speeding up what we can produce. And so going back to the original point about money being too expensive for molds, if you have a 3D printed mold, the cost of that mold is very low. So you get the ability to put out a lot more parts at a time. So you increase your your manufacturing capacity and your part quality goes up because you've got mold finish. So your part quality goes up, the amount of parts you can have goes up, and the cost of your tooling is way, way, way down. Um, so I'm going to be playing with vacuum pots and some molds. That's going to be kind of the, the side projects as we develop here. It's probably through the end of the year into next year. Um, I want to dial that in. I worked in injection molding early on. It's one really cool things about my journey as I look back on is I got my first real job was at a place called Westminster Tool in Plainfield, Connecticut, and uh, worked for Ray Coombs, who's the president, the owner. Um, he taught me so much about traditional manufacturing and, you know, that whole thing about 3D printing taking over traditional manufacturing, there's no way. <laughs> it's another tool in the basket of manufacturers. It helps you do things that traditional manufacturing can't do, and traditional manufacturing can do things that 3D printing can't do. So it's it's just another tool that's extremely valuable. Um, and seeing traditional, you know, I remember my last point here, my last story, uh, story time with Alex. I remember that when I walked into the manufacturing floor for the first time, this is at Westminster, I remember there was a point during my internship with them where... I remember seeing all the machines and I remember thinking by the time I get out of here, like, and like, I don't know why I was thinking this, but I was like at a certain point in my career, like I want to get to the point where I can walk into a place and look at one of these machines and like know what it is or, or, or be close to knowing what it is or what it isn't. Right. Um, like to go to walk in and be like, Oh, that's a five axis mill or, um, Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a lathe. Or well, that's a that's a screw injection mold machine, um, things like that. That's a five-axis arm. All that's a 3D printer. That's that's a that's an SLA 3D printer. That's a SLS 3D printer. 
that's that's an FDM 3D printer, like the ones we have in our labs. Um, and I got there. I'm actually there at this point. Like having worked on 3D printers, there's so much that you can take from the manufacturing role, well, world, G-code and, and just linear systems, right? Things that are moving left and right and up and down. Like that's what machinists have been working on forever. So it's, it's a natural evolution, um, but it's both an old industry and a young industry at the same time. It's, it's been around long enough that you can actually make real parts with it finally. Um, but it's also really young in that like it really hasn't had a chance to go to this next stage where you know we get one step closer to this being like the replicator in Star Trek, right? Where you can just kind of click a button, Earl Grey, hot, and then it, it makes you an Earl Grey tea that's actually hot that tastes just like Earl Grey tea uh, and apparently doesn't affect your insides, right? Because um, they were using that thing all the time on Star Trek, and I didn't—I don't think that any of them died of cancer. So, so I think, I think uh, at some point that would be great to get to, especially if we're using light, right? Light and energy to create matter. Um, I think, uh, I think at that point it, it'll be non-carcinogenic. But until then, we've got a long way to go. Um, but I definitely see at some point this being a huge tool for designers, right? If you think about all the things that we're gonna purchase over the next few weeks for the holidays coming up here, uh, think about how much of that money is going to like a manufacturer, how much is going to the actual designer that made that thing, right? If you go on like Etsy or something like that. Um, 3D printers could at some point eliminate so much of the middlemen for uh, designers to go direct to their consumer, right? Uh, at, at what point do designers become the manufacturers? And, you know, designers have these 3D printers in their homes and they basically just source out material, right? Their, their cost for their designs is their design and the literal cost of it being manufactured. Uh, so you're, you're, the designer could really make the money that they deserve for designing their thing uh, in a very near future. Um, near is probably decades, but uh, who knows? It's it's getting closer and closer every day, and it, it's, uh, it's a very fun industry. So if you're ever interested in learning more about 3D printing, uh, head on over to ag3d-printing.com. That's our website. We have a YouTube channel. We, we've made, anytime we make something or we do something cool, we try to put a YouTube video together. Halloween costumes, I usually do an episode on that. We had our Starman helmet. We've got a video, a clip uh, up on that channel at ag3d printing on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, uh, you can also check out the uh, Deadpool knife holder, which is pretty sweet. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it, folks. I'm going up to vacation land. I'm going up to Maine for uh, Thanksgiving. It's going to be great. There's going to be a deep fried turkey. It's going to be some football. It's going to be good. Um, and funnily enough, last story, uh, if you're not from Massachusetts, there's two places where people go to vacation, at least traditionally. You know, people who are, are from Massachusetts, you know, mass holes. Uh, we... <laughs> There's two places that we go. Uh, there's Maine. You go up north to Maine. Uh, it's a vacation land. Or you go uh, east to the Cape, to Cape Cod. 
um, and and I was a Cape person forever because we had a house down there, um, and so we I never went to Maine. And then uh, now as I get older, um, going up to Maine, and it's great. I mean, it's totally different, right? I probably wouldn't want to go to the Cape now because it's super cold down there. It's not great near the water, but there's something about Maine that you know it's going to be cold, and it makes it almost like you're enjoying it, but not really. But still, it's beautiful up there. Plus, the stargazing up there is uh, great. We don't get as good of stars <laughs> down the Cape as we do if we go up to Maine. So, yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to seeing some stars, having uh, some good time, some rest, a deep red turkey. Uh, yeah, delicious. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving in your, if you're from the U.S. If you're uh, in anywhere else around the world, thank you for joining us. And I just want to say that I am thankful for all of you. If you made it this far in a podcast and you listen this long, boy, do I appreciate <laughs> you guys hanging in there. Um, but I appreciate every single one of you. We're really trying to build a community here. So if you haven't already, reach out. Love to hear from you. Um, today in space podcast at gmail.com if you've got any episode ideas or things you want to talk about um, that's space related 3d printing related we've got some interviews coming up later this year um, so there's there's a lot to come we thank you so much for joining us this is today in space i am alex Girofanos. Um have a great thanksgiving and we'll be back next week with another episode of today in space